Today's TEX Water Polo Pod special features the entirety of Joe's conversation with George Block, the godfather of San Antonio Aquatics. The Texas Swimming and Diving Hall of Fame inductee is renowned throughout the state for successes in swimming, but for water polo fans, he was the driving force behind the huge success of the sport in that area beginning in the early 80s. He and Joe talk about the rise and fall of water polo and expectations for its revival as it becomes a UIL sport. So here's George Block. Welcome to today's uh, podcast uh, talk with uh, George Block. George Block is basically the godfather of aquatics in yeah in San Antonio. He coached at Alma Heights. He was the aquatics director at Northside um, ISD. He has a pool named after him. He was also the head coach for Quad A Four, I think. He was my head coach yeah for my club. So um, he's also been on the boards of ASCA and USA Swimming and USA Water Polo. George. Thank you so much for doing this. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Happy to watch you succeed. I don't know if I've succeeded at all. I like I, I am in, in I, I am in, in the sport of water polo, and I wish every day that you know why don't I like coach golf or <laughs> basketball <laughs> or, or football? <laughs> but I fell in love with water polo at age nine or ten in Whispering Oaks in yeah in San Antonio. So. I love what I do, and it's and it's all and it's a whole lot of fun. So, what are you doing nowadays? I'm uh, mostly retired, and I'm still doing a lot on nonprofit boards with swimming and uh, just in the community at large. Okay, good, good. Um, and uh, how are you doing with the whole COVID nineteen? Um, we sequestered in place in South Padre Island. Not a bad place to sequester. We if we're going to be in prison, that's a real nice prison. Okay, there you go. There you go. And I'm, and I'm sure you got out and kind of walked the beach a little bit here with we, your mask on. Got four and a half miles of walking in every day. And uh, I brought a TRX down to do some strength work and uh, we read a lot and uh, ate too much. Read a lot and ate too much. Yes. Um, was it my wife and I tend to eat out kind of, kind of way too much. So the whole COVID thing is we did a lot more dishes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but, um, but no, it's, yeah. Um, I'm glad that we're opening up now and pools are becoming a little bit more kind of available and swim in yep. uh, swim programs and yeah, in water programs are, are starting back up. So we'll see how that goes kind of moving forward. Yep. Yeah. Just pending uh, like, like an additional peak or something, which we hope does not happen. So well, it's already happening. So <laughs> I know, I know. Well, yeah. Was it so? Um, all right. I just said that you're the godfather of aquatics in San Antonio. So you started at Alma Heights. Yes, sir. And you, and you brought water polo with you. So, so just tell us about that. You started well, in 1973. Go. That was my first job. I was a pentathlete at Fort Sam Houston at the time. And the coach at Alamo Heights was Pete Williams. And he asked myself and another guy, Tim Henrich, um, who you may remember as Torque, um, if we would come and um, coach water polo. And we went, okay. But he handed us a, uh, sheet of rules and they were using a volleyball and the you scored a goal if you got it between the ladders on either side of the pool it was hey, of, you gotta start somewhere you have to start somewhere it was sort of mall ball and we did that for a year and said look if we're gonna do this again we want to do it right and really coach water polo and you know um i said i think it makes for bad culture on the team 
if part of your program is deliberately half-assed. If, no, if you're no. not going to do it right and it doesn't matter, don't do it. You're preaching the choir, my friend. You're preaching yeah. the choir. So. And so we said we're going to do it right from that point. And so the next year we started the high school team and a club team to support it. Nice. Like a, like a club water polo team or a a club, like, a, like an aquatic swimming and club team? Um, it was all of the above. You know, all the swimmers played water polo and all the water polo players swam. Um, but, you know, you had to, in order for just like now in order to have insurance, you got to register with water polo. Of course. Of course. So now tell us a, a little bit about those early state high school uh, kind of championships. I, I, I know Fosdick was involved at a certain level. It was kind of wild, wild west days. Well, it was, it was very wild, wild west um, because it, was, it wasn't run by an organization, by TISCA or by the UIL. It was run by FOS. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, in, in some ways it made it crazy. In other ways, you know, he made it happen. So, you know, you can't bitch about it too much because if it wasn't for him, it wouldn't be there now. No, again, of course. Um, but we would definitely do things like show up at state and he would hand us a new set of rules or new set of interpretations the like 30 minutes before the first game that he had just got out in California at a college tournament they were at. And so we'd have played the entire season under one set of rules and one set of interpretations. And then 30 minutes before the first game, we were all given a new set of rules and new set of interpretations. So, I mean, you were coaching kind of the Alma Heights team. Who were some of the other team in rivalries at the time in San Antonio or there, there were no other teams in San Antonio? No other teams. Um, when, when we would do tournaments, we would typically split our high school team a couple of different ways and our club team. We'd invite a lot of private schools up from Mexico. Um, St. Mark's almost always would come down from Dallas. We had a real good relationship with St. Mark's. Um, and every now and Stutzman. then, not very often, a team would come over from Houston, but they didn't need to because even back then they had plenty of competition. And so yeah. it was really St. Mark's, us, and some Mexican teams. Okay. Well, I mean, like you got to play kind of who you got to play and kind of one of the best things that I think happened in Texas that it, it took what California and, and until the mid nineties was there was a girls water polo in the seventies. It started in, in the seventies, a championship started in the late seventies. And I thought that was great. It was from day one was, was women's. There was never any difference. Um, they were on different weekends, the state. And so then the season went the same way. You'd have a, Boys weekend, a girls weekend, a boys weekend, a girls weekend, a boys weekend, a girls weekend, then, you know, girls state, boys state, um, all the way through. And so uh, I never experienced it from 1973 forward um, where there wasn't a girls water polo championship that was on a par with the guys. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I tell this and I don't make it a secret. I would much rather coach a bunch of 18, 16 and under girls than a bunch of 18, 16 under boys. <laughs> I mean, cause they listen better. They uh, understand the little things and boys are off the reservation at that age as I was. As well. so, <laughs> yeah. You coached a lot of people that were off the reservation. I don't think I was as bad as some people, but, I, but you know, I am <laughs> sure you can share a story or two right now. The territory at that age. <laughs> yes. There you go. And, uh, no, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, then you won two championships, like you won boys and girls in 1979. Right. Well, were you there 
or had you already moved to Northside at that point? No, no, I, I was at Northside. It was kids that I had coached that won. But okay. I, I came over the, my last year at um, Alamo Heights was 77. Okay, okay. So what made you kind of do that transition? I know you became the aquatics director over at kind of Northside. So just tell me what, what you know, was just inviting about it. Was water polo was a big part of it is that yeah. I knew that if I came, we could immediately expand water polo in the city. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't, there was probably a 90% chance that it wouldn't. Yep. And uh, so I came over, it was sort of at the time, it was a lateral move because, um, you know, when we brought kids into the pool, it was, we brought them in, sat them in the bleacher and said, we're going to have the tryouts in the deep end. If people look panicked, or you can go into the shallow end, whatever you want. And anybody went to the shallow end, we put on the novice team. And anybody went to the deep end, we put on the age group team. <laughs> you got to take. Hey, you don't have a whole lot of time. You got to do what you got to do. And yeah, yeah, in those, and so, in you know, those it was sort of amount of time. Pretty, pretty primitive at the start. Um, in fact, you know, the truth is, the only reason I got that job is they had offered it to a bunch of really top coaches. And they came down and said, you got no team. You got nobody out here. You got no summer league feeders. You got nothing. No. <laughs> and so, you know, they ran out of really good coaches to bring in. So they got me. <laughs> so, I mean, so water polo kind of was a big part of that kind of yeah, transition. It was a huge part of it at the time. And you, and you brought it from Alma Heights. And obviously you, you probably also built the summer league swim systems and stuff. Cause that's what I grew up in. And yeah, that was early 80s. Summer league you know, I started. All that stuff. Um, and uh, the, my last year at Heights, we won state, and then and then the both boys and girls won it two years later. Um, but because but because we had a sort of established, we'd already won one. Then Heights was always going to hire a good water polo coach, and and they they've done that. They've always hired a good water polo coach. Yeah, and I mean, then you moved to Northside, and the swimming just excelled, obviously. But right. this is the water polo podcast, so. But basically, I know they're the Houston teams, and they kind of dominated, yeah, the 70s. And then Alma Heights kind of, yeah, yeah, started doing well. But then the Northside teams just dominated the 80s. Just, well, so just tell us about, kind of, kind of about, about some of the good programs, the good coaches. When we, so the, the pool opened in uh, February of 78. Um, so, you know, with like a week to go in the high school season, the pool opened. Um, That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, we, we didn't care. I'm sure. Opened. I I'm sure it was supposed to open in September. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, and we, I had uh, that year. I had Holmes at Alamo Heights. I had Marshall at Northeast, and I had Jay at Lackland. So I just drove around the different practices. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. And so, were you the head coach for all of them? For all of them that first year. Oh, geez. There you go. There you go. But the district was really committed to doing it right, um, partly because back then building a you know what then was a large natatorium was really controversial. Um, and the real reason they built it wasn't for competitive swimming. It was, and you can sort of think about many drives to the pool. There's so many drainage ditches in Northside that every time it rained, kids would drown. And okay. um, what they wanted was swim lessons and what they called drown proofing. 
And so every child in third grade came through the pool for two weeks of swim lessons um, just to get exposed to water and, you know, teach them as much as we could and teach them safety and, you know, push off the bottom, roll on your back, call for help, all that stuff. Um, and that was the, the, the big driver. But the second is they wanted to su succeed athletically. So when we started, I was able to hire a coach for boys and girls at each high school. And so the first decade, we had a, a boys coach and a girls coach at each high school. And so that meant that the boys teams and girls teams got a lot of attention. Yep. Um, even if they, you know, the boys were in the practice or in the water practice, the girls would be outside stepping through it, you know, run through it on dry land, sort of playing like team handball type water polo outside, you know, just same. kind of rotating the groups in and out offensive concepts, uh, you know, the same, same as you experience morning and afternoon, but if the, you know, girls were in or the boys were in the morning, then the girls were outside doing sort of team handballish water polo outside. Now, but didn't you have some coaches that coached both boys and girls at the same high school? Um, well, one of the things that was going on in the state at that time was that was really the beginning of the budget cuts to education that went on for about 20 years. And when we got to a certain point when a coach would leave, um, I couldn't replace him and we had to combine teams. And so we sort of gradually went from having a boys coach and a girls coach to just one coach at each school. Yeah. Cause I mean, I know I was very young at the time, but I remember, I think Mark Elliott Clark, I know Doug Andrew at Marshall. I think they coached. Both. Like when Mark was the boys coach at Clark, Scott Zielinski was the girls coach. Okay. Um, so, you know, sort of the way that went, but when Scott left, I couldn't replace him. Then Mark became both. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. I mean, I mean, well, I mean, I thank you so much for, for bringing water pole to yeah, yeah, to Northside. I mean, I mean, there was obviously, I remember as a young pup kind of going to the games and my older brother was playing. It was great. I mean, it was great to watch the games. And I think I, and then we traveled to Houston for the state championship or the state championship kind of wasn't in, yeah, kind of was in San Antonio. So, I mean, are there any players that that kind of stick out from that time frame or that era from the Marshall, Clarks, Jay? Well, um, you know, the, so, like, if I go way back into to Alamo Heights, the I think the two best players that come out of there, boys, were Pat McCullough and Tilden Schaefer. And uh, Pat went out to UOP and yep. played and has never moved back. He's a geologist out in California now. Uh, um, a lot of people don't move back, although a lot of people are, are moving back or just moving from California to here. Yeah, moving from. And Tilden um, went to Brown and played – four years out there and then uh he, he's uh, he ran for district attorney here in san antonio this year but uh those two when we had the club team at heights you know they started playing together from the time they were eight till the time they were 18 and they were just like radar by the by their senior year that was, that might have been the weakest heights team but those two were so good they made it all the way to the state final. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't shock me at all. Yeah. 
Is that so, something – it doesn't take a whole lot to be good in high school sometimes. You have two, three good dominant players that have yeah. been playing together for a long time. It's still the same way. So. Yeah. And then if I sort of go the, – the top goalie from high school is a guy named Andy Gates. I guess from water polo you may know him. He's a referee now out in California. I've heard of Andy, yes. There's a lot but, of um, – And I think I've had a beer with Andy, but, you know. He coaches – yeah, he coached high school for years and years and years out there, and now he's retired from high school, but uh, um, doing a lot of college roughing. On the um, dark side, but that's okay. <laughs> um, I'm just playing all those referees that are listening. The, I uh, ref too, so it's okay. <laughs> you know, the, the the top players, you know, one of the – the guy who was a freshman, the transition year from Heights to, to Northside um, – with Terry Vetters. Ah, oh, yeah, Terry. Here you go. And um, he went out and played college in California and made the national junior team back then. And the national junior team coach said he was the, the best defensive player on the whole national junior team. Um, and so, you know, he was, you know, in, in high school, a real force to be reckoned with. Um, you know, girls around that time, um, Valerie Dominguez, who then became Valerie Bean, and now is Valerie Martin. <laughs> um, she was, uh, you know, she, she made the junior team and then national, the national B. Um, so she was quite a force. On her team was Terry's sister, Mary Ellen Betters, who played mm-hmm. four years at Stanford. Yep. Um, so, so she was really solid. Um, you know, sort of going to your era, probably the best – goalie ever at Northside was David Proft, but he just hated being a goalie. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, but who does like being goalies except for true goalies? So Yeah, and and he had all the the skill set and the body and everything for you. He was just amazing, but, you know, after about a year and a half, two years, he said, no, I got to get out on the field. I want to score. I want to (laughs) shoot. Yeah, he could also swim a little bit too, so there you go. Plus, yeah. he just he, he just has this huge torso, the long arms. Yeah, he, and, he could egg beat her out to his knees and all that stuff. And yeah. Dave still plays. Dave yeah. still plays. So, uh, was it he still plays for a, a, a club called Totex up in Austin? So, and yeah. he's done well for himself. And then, and, uh, of, you know, in that era just before that, where guys like uh, Cy Wintery ended up being captain at Air Force Academy, Ellis Eaton ended up being captain yeah. at Air Force Academy. Um, We've had a lot of players do really well at the academies, Air Force, Navy, um, oh, yeah. did really yeah. well in those environments. Yeah, we even had uh, like my older brother who wasn't a, who wasn't necessarily a standout on on kind of some of those car teams, but also Chris Alvera yeah. from the Marshall and Car teams kind of back in the day. So yeah. I mean, there's been there are a ton of kids, and even and they kept being competitive all the way up through the end of the ninety like the '80s and '90s. But then kind of Houston started kind of rising a little bit at the end of the 80s and early 90s. So, you know, a lot of that was demographics. <laughs> Houston boomed with suburban growth at that time. Yep. Um, I mean, you know, from living there, it used to be a, a schlep out to Woodlands. You know, now it's just suburb, 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 suburb. Same thing with from Katy. Katy it's still a schlep, be, though. It's still a schlep, though. Yeah, it's still a schlep. You know, and... Katie used to be way outside of Houston and now it's just constant. Yeah. Um, so there was this massive urban uh, sprawl, urban sprawl and affluent urban sprawl and pool building urban sprawl. Yeah. And um, 
Houston had been sort of cloud seeded with some pretty darn good coaches and players. Um, you know, you talked about earlier, we were just BS and we we're talking about, you know, Clear Lake back in the day, you know, Lanny Landroop had a hell of a program at Clear Lake and those yep. guys could really play and they could really swim. Um, and so there were a lot of guys who, um, they, they just had a lot of potential coaches. They had a lot of good players, they had a lot of good coaches. And so it wasn't too surprising to see it sprawl. So like, I mean, a, a guy who was sort of the godfather of swimming up in New Braunfels, and he gave me a lesson in humility one time and said, you know, don't get really carried away. You're a really great coach. So it's all demographics. And he <laughs> pulled out his computer problem, computer sure. program and showed demographics all over the country and where the reds lit up with just great swimming all over the country. It is. Yeah, it is. It, it is definitely true. I mean, but like, so, but some of those great San Antonio teams, so what did they have that was better besides demographics that was better than like the Houston teams? I know they could swim and I know that they had the fall season. They had the spring season. There was an age group program. So, I mean, you, know, you had built we, that up. We I mean, did all that. We, we had, you know, the, the sort of the real fall season and a little short spring season. We would always bring in, we'd always do a clinic every year. You remember the Fiesta water polo clinics that we all did? Of course. Um, you know, so we, we brought in a good California coach to keep us current so that we wouldn't get stagnant just with ourselves, which I think would be really easy to do in that environment. Um, we had really good, good coaches, um, either from really good polo coaching backgrounds, like, uh, you know, like Kurt Swanson, you know, the, and hopefully his Holmes team that was undefeated would be one of the all time teams. Those they were, they were in the best of Texas in the top 16. So I think they, you know, I think the closest game they had all season was 10 or 11 points. Um, you know, Don Boyd came in with a lot of coaching experience. Um, you know, we had a guy at Marshall named Mike Phelps who had played high school in California at a pretty high level and then swam at Indiana. Um, you know, Debbie Starr played college at A&M. Um, so we had, a, we had a lot of experience, a lot of good coaches, and that created just a lot of – having everybody in one pool is sort of a disadvantage. The advantage is it makes it almost like a university academic department. There's so much sharing of ideas. And yeah. um, we, we had a guy from Michigan named Tom Topolsky who was just a freaking genius – and especially a genius at coaching girls. And he came up with some uh, sort of, you know, the ways to train girls to shoot so they wouldn't shoot like a girl. And um, some exercises. You can't say and, that anymore, coach. You can't say that. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I just did. So <laughs> I edited that out. But he had all sorts of, of great ways to just develop some really good women shooters. Um, and you know, he was just brilliant, and the girls really responded to that. Um, and so I think a lot, of it, a lot of the magic was just having all those really good coaches in one room watching what each other was doing and sharing ideas. Yeah, and that's in, that's in, and as we know, you know, sometimes coaches get a little bit too protective of their stuff, and yeah. they don't want to share. And, that, and I remember, you know, uh, Clark is – yeah, I went to Clark. So Clark is practicing and the Marshall is practicing. The coaches are talking and they're sharing different things, but then we played a 
play to try to go to state the next weekend, you know? So exactly. um, I, I do remember. And you mentioned Debbie Starr. I remember Debbie Starr was my age group coach in sixth grade. <laughs> my age group coach in, yeah, in sixth grade. And, but, I, but I do remember that, you know, I don't know if it was going into my eighth grade year, but that the age group team was stopped. Well, there's nobody to play it after a while. We've reached the halfway point of today's podcast and we'll return after this. In many podcasts, this time would be filled with ads for electric toothbrushes or recruiting services. Not here. Instead, we're asking you to show your support for TX Water Polo by donating to it. Go to txwaterpolo.com slash donate and help us continue covering the sport we love in the Lone Star State. Hey, this is Jesse Smith, recent Pan Am gold medalist. I was just checking out Texas Water Polo from the TX Water Polo podcast. Also, you can check out their website. You can follow me at GoSmith now. Thanks, guys. Now, part two of today's show. And at first, Heights kept their age group team going. When Paul Bergen was the head coach, head women's coach at UT, he was also in charge of Longhorn Aquatics. And so the... Texas women played polo, plus all the Longhorn Aquatics played polo. And that was a huge club. And so, you know, they could, they could put 20 teams in the water. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we could bring up four teams and Heights would bring up two. It didn't take too many programs, and you could have a pretty quality age group tournament. You could play a lot of people. But um, I can't remember under which coach Heights dropped, and then once Bergen left, um, just sort of petered out at, at longer when the, when the coaches who worked for Bergen were all gone, water polo left. Um, and so there's just nobody left to play other than play inter-squad. Well, you'd be good. You'd be happy to know we had a tournament this past uh, January it's called the dare to dream over MLK weekend. It, it was in Houston. We had 25 teams, all 12 and under. Wow. <laughs> and it was like, I think it was like 12, 13 different clubs. So, um, and that was, up from about nine or 10 in like the previous year. So we're hoping to get that to be like 30 or four or 40 teams here soon. So yeah. again, just kind of grow the base, right? Just grow the base and get as many that's kids what, playing as possible. And, uh, but then, I mean, also during high school, I think that, you know, we used to have like the fall season and then also the spring season, but then, you know, I know that they shifted the, like the high school swimming, then the spring kind of high school season kind of went away a little bit. I don't really know how the spring I think when they were trying to sort of force the fall season, um, then it, the spring went away. When the UIL shifted the seasons, that really caused a lot of the, the sort of a, a mess and, you know, but not enough time for a fall season, not enough teams wanted to play in the spring. Yeah. Um, no, but I mean, no, it's, it, I mean, it's just, you know, and so what we're talking about is, the high school swimming state used to be the middle of March. Then it got moved up to yeah. the middle of third February. week of March and now it's second week of February. So, so it got moved earlier. up quite a bit earlier. So, and then that also then kind of moved up a lot of club swimming from that might've started in early May to mid May to the, like the beginning of April and stuff like that for long course season, stuff like that. So um, it just kind of shifted a lot of things. And that was one of the primary reasons if we fast, if we fast forward back into late two thousands kind of moving yeah, yeah, the spring and then the rise of, of the number of teams kind of throughout the state. So. Are you familiar with the Florida seasons, the way Florida does it? Um, 
yeah, I mean, Florida, I, um, off the top of my head, they, uh, they have changed a little bit, but I believe that they play high school water polo in the spring. Right. And what, what they do is they start high school swimming first day of school or even a little bit. They, they start whenever football and volleyball does. Of course. Yep. And they have their championship right around the second weekend in December. And then they play water polo then from sort of the day after Christmas until the first weekend of spring break. And then after spring break, the water polo club kids go to their water polo, the swimming club kids go to their swimming and everybody's doing their summer thing. Yep. And I think that's a really good way to do it. It creates meaningful seasons for everything and still allows time for everything. And I think if we're going to be really successful in the long term, we, we need to not only think about adding water polo, but creating new season structures. Oh, really? it, it's really hard in anything that you do in life to just add stuff. Add, you also have to subtract something. <laughs> you have to create room for the new thing that you're adding. You have to adjust and adapt and such like that. So yeah, yeah. You, you know, every addition requires a subtraction just otherwise your life becomes too out of control. And so, uh, I think one of the things that in terms of implementing, how do you make high school water polo real? How do you make it really succeed? How do we do this? Especially given now that there are so many combined facilities like Northside's, you know, Houston sells a lot of single high school pools, but you know, Dallas, I-35 corridor, um, San Antonio, it's all central facilities. I think we should be really looking at a version of that Florida type schedule. Yeah. So, um, so I, I, as I'm, as I'm sure you're aware that the UIL did this past October of 2019, October 21st at 9:35 AM, they, okay. uh, they, uh, they officially sanctioned. And, and I know the day and time because that was a very long process. And I'm sure that you even were involved in that process way back in the day too. So, this and the process uh, was going back on in the 70s. Oh, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, and it started stop, and we finally we finally figured out the rules of the game and started to play the game the way that UIL wanted us to play the game. And it was the first sport that was added in 20 years. Um, the UIL decided to move the official season to the fall. It's going to start August 1, along yeah. with volleyball and football. Any thoughts on as far as – the challenges, the possible, like, you know, kind of success stories of the fall 2021 season. Um, you know, fall is sort of all to me, has been the traditional season. Yep. Um, that's what I grew up with as a kid doing it myself. That's what I grew up with as a coach. Uh, that's what I implemented when I came to Northside. So I'm, I'm really just comfortable with that. The downside for the fall is it is extremely discriminatory against inner city teams because the new kids, new freshmen are literally learning how to swim at the same time they're learning how to play water polo. And so at best, if they stick with it, because that's a pretty negative experience, their first year is their second year. Yep. And so the most they'll get, is three years of experience in, in high school yep. um, compared to, to four. And I almost think, especially now, 
if we're not being sensitized and sensitive to stuff that's structurally discriminatory, um, we're really neglecting our jobs and our leadership role. Diversity and inclusion. That is, yeah. that is, on, that is on the forefront. And I, and I think and that is a reason that the, we should, as another reason we should consider the Florida season is that if kids start out with a swimming season, the inner city teams have a season to teach the kids how to swim and give them a little bit of endurance. And then they can jump into water polo that they're not hanging on lane lines and hanging on the side of the pool and all that stuff. Um, That you're giving the urban schools a chance. And um, I think that's really important. And I think it's something we should be thinking about um, and sandpapering our consciences to make sure we're doing more than lip service. No, no. And this is, and this is, this is part of us kind of quote unquote, getting ready for fall 2021 is the education aspect. It's, it's preparing coaches, it's preparing programs, it's preparing athletic directors for this. That's that. Yeah. That's going to happen because this is a quantum. This is the first quote unquote sport that's been added by the UIL. So a lot of people weren't around the last time, like, you know, like the wrestling was added and such. Now things have been added as far as, you know, different levels for, you know, kind of football or, you know, cheer or mariachi, but um, there's going to be some challenges. There's even going to be a little overlap with high school swimming. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) so after a couple of years, it's going to be, you know, conversations are going to be able to be had as far as, all right, so do we need to shift this? Do we need to shift that to make it, because I kind of see it. I mean, I've always been a believer because I grew up in the, uh, in the system that we were talking about kind of earlier. I believe that, you know, they like both swimming and water polo can coexist. And not, not only can they coexist, they can make each other flourish and they can thrive. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, and there have been, I mean, obviously now with the specialization of sport, there are the swim clubs that have two weeks off in August. That's it. Yeah. And, um, and it's swim, swim, swim. And it's the same thing for club soccer and club volleyball. I mean, it's even the same thing for a club water pole to a certain extent now too. But I do believe in the high school realm and that, that, you know, water polo can help grow the numbers at the high school level for swim teams. Yeah. And there, there, there's no question about it. I think as a, the other thing is as an educator, there are really significant life lessons to be learned in sport, but you can't learn all of them in an individual sport. This is very true. And it's the same with a team sport. There are life lessons there, but you can't learn all of them in a team sport. And so I think from an educational point of view, you want to give your aquatics athletes a team sport exposure and an individual sport exposure. And then from a, you know, the high school competitive, yeah, if the kids are serious, it's going to be club swimming. If the kids serious water polo, it's going to be club water polo. But at the high school level, you can do both. I mean, it's the beauty of it. Yes. Um, I mean, th- I would never have been a swimmer if I didn't, if water pole didn't get me to the pool. Yeah. And not that I was the greatest swimmer in the world. I was okay. You were pretty darn good. <laughs> uh, but I mean, but compared to everybody else that was, that, that, that was around the same time, I, I was okay. And, uh, but like, you know, it was, it was one of those things where, I mean, I've always been probably more skewed towards water pole. Just, yeah. you know, the opportunities. That was your passion the day you showed up at the pool. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I think my brother and Mark Elliott had to teach me how to dive off a block and do a flip turn before I went to my first club swim practice. So, <laughs> and that was in, that was before I met coach Debbie Starr. So, and, yeah. uh, but so, I mean, it can grow. Um, we've, we've had so many success stories over like over the last 10 years of I've gone out and talked to coach into, into doing water polo. And they're like, I don't know. I go, it's going to grow your numbers. And it just brings a different type of athlete to the pool that can make great sprinters. And how do you win yeah. dual meet? And how do you win state sprinting and relays? Yeah. So it's not rocket science. At Elmo Heights, we, we, when we started out, we had a lot of kids that either got kicked off or dropped from the football team. They were big, strong guys with cannon arms and they could, at that time they could do a 25, but by the end of the season, they could do a 50. <laughs> exactly. And then after, and then after four years, they might be willing to do a 200, but yeah, yeah we'll see. But no, I mean, it's, I mean, yes. And that's, and I just see water polo being added to the UIL is just growing aquatics in general Yeah. and getting more people to the pool. There's a ton of multi-million dollar facilities that have been built around the state. Yep. Let's use yeah, it. And, and they've been built by school districts. Facilities than anywhere in the world. Yeah. I mean, and let's, and yeah, and, yeah, and, let, and let's use them. And it's just getting, you know, I've had a lot of converts from oh, swimming, 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 and no water polo is going to mess up your stroke. Uh, it's different strokes. And no, you're not. a good swim coach. You're like, just teach the kid and they'll, they'll remember after a, a practice or two, you know, and uh, it's make it more coordinated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, but I mean, it's, uh, it's been great. So have you followed high school water polo or club water polo in Texas over, yeah, over the last 20 years? Obviously over the last 20 years, over the last, 10 since I've been out of it. I've sort of from arm's length, I've been, you know, just keep touch, keep aware of it, sort of know what's going on, but I haven't really followed it tightly. I've, I mean, I've but been it's, more frustrated at the politics of it. Of water polo or swimming? Um, both. Probably <laughs> both. Um, at times I felt like Tiska became an organization that was just a high school coaches job preservation organization rather than something that was really trying to what is the best thing we can do for kids? Um, and I think anytime your organization or your own personal decisions is what are, what's best for coaches, you, you've lost your way. It's always what's best for kids. Yeah, exactly. And, and I'm the same way. If you just make a program and you communicate, you make sure that the kids understand and they know that you care, kids are going to come in droves. And that's going to be – you're paying it forward. You learn from a good coach. Otherwise you wouldn't be a good coach yourself. And so kind of do it for the right reasons. It's not about your personal glory or your names in the paper. It's about the kid being like the name in the paper and such. And you were, you were one of those coaches. Yeah. For me growing up, I would not be a coach now if it, yeah, if it wasn't for you. And I appreciate that. Now here there is, I mean, I talked about you being on boards, ask a yeah, uh, USA swimming, Talk to us a little bit about the Texas Swimming and Diving and Water Polo um, Hall of Fame. Well, I think that's a place where, um, you know, Texas Water Polo or TX Water Polo could really make a difference. Um, Texas Swimming and Diving Hall of Fame is uh, now has a home at the University of Texas. And if you know the University of Texas politics, getting some outside organization to have a physical presence on their campus is brutal. Um, but They've approved it, adopted it, and we've been there for about 10 years. Um, and it's, it's all aquatic, swimming, diving, water polo, synchro. You know, it's, it's the whole 
the whole nut. Um, and obviously, it's a, we want to keep a pretty high standard because the swimming is a really high standard. Diving is a really high standard. Um, but a lot of it, water polo early on, maybe even till today, didn't have the same opportunities that exist in swimming. You know, as you know, there's hundreds of collegiate varsity swimming teams. And there's a couple of dozen collegiate varsity water polo teams. Um, and so the opportunities haven't always been equal. But we are really trying hard to get the right coaches recognized and the right players recognized from the, you know, the 70s till now. And obviously, with the Hall of Fame, you want to bias towards the old guys, get them in while they're still alive, <laughs> um, and then let the young guys just sort of fill in underneath until they become the old guys. Um, but we are looking for nominations for coaches uh, and for players, uh, men, women, boys, girls, from the history of Texas water polo that we can get on the wall there at the University of Texas. I will help you with that. We are going to get some names and we're to use the podcast to get the word out a little bit, to get some nominations. And um, I do I do appreciate the time, Coach. Hey, anytime. I, um, thank you for what you're doing. You're being the Johnny Appleseed of water polo. And, um, you know, everything needs an evangelist. And, you know, what do evangelists do? They give the same message over and over and over until you get sick of saying it. But people need to hear the same message. And you beat the bass drum, boom, to keep everybody in step. Yeah. And, you know, you're playing a, that evangelist role in water polo. And, I, I, you know, I just sort of smile when I think about it because you were that kid when you were nine years old. I don't remember that exactly. I just remember <laughs> uh, just I just wanted to do this or I, or I just wanted to pass the ball and, and play yeah, a little water polo. You wanted to get in there and get that water polo ball. As soon as you got near water, you were looking for the yellow ball. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just put a water polo ball at the end of my lane. I'm going to swim fast. So, yep. <laughs> but, um, and um, I do appreciate it, Coach. I can't call you George, really. It's still, yeah, it's, yeah, it's still Coach Block. Um, and I appreciate everything that you did. I still appreciate everything that you currently do. Um, I think I, I'm not making a secret. I'm moving back down to San Antonio. I'm, I'm going to call you up. I will buy you lunch. And uh, was it, we will have our social distancing, of course, you know, and uh, was it on? Um, Hopefully that'll be over by then. <laughs> uh, it's going to be in a, it's going to be in like two, three weeks. So we will see. But um, looking forward to it. it yeah. It, yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks, Joe. Good talking to you again. Our thanks to George Block for his time zooming with Joe. And thanks to you for listening and continuing to tell friends about the TX Water Polo Podcast. Until next time, so long from Austin.
This has been a production of TWP Sports, LLC.